0: Thank you for listening to this episode of our unsolved podcast i'm david lyden the 1989 murder of shannon signers in new county drew national attention as police spent decades trying to find her killer brothers matthew and paul jones were convicted in 2015 of killing shannon but the case is getting a fresh look a private investigator is now convinced the jones brothers are innocent Bill Proctor spent years as an investigative reporter in Detroit. He's now a licensed private investigator who recently began taking a look at the conviction of the Jones brothers. Let's start at the very, very beginning with this case. How did you first get involved with the Shannon Siders case, or what did you first
1: hear about it? Uh, knew nothing about it, too far away, totally disconnected, but the phone call came from their sister. And Michelle took several weeks to convince me to take on a case so far away from where I live. Uh, anytime you have to do investigation work three hours from from home base, that's a little bit difficult. So that was the beginning, her convincing me. And then I have this whole box of documents upstairs that I've probably been through twice.
0: When did she first reach out
1: to you? Um, February of 2020
0: first impressions of the case when you started looking at it?
1: Well, it's always disturbing to know that a cold case team comes together to look back more than two decades and to put together a case strong enough to convince two, I'm sorry, more than two decades had passed before they managed to get into court, alleging that two young men that they talked to way back then, that one of them had actually passed a polygraph test, but now they feel they have enough to get a conviction, and they got one. So I didn't know all the details back then, but it most certainly was intriguing to know that that much time had passed from the crime to the conviction. So that was the beginning for me. Was that they, the first thing where you kind of went, okay,
0: we might have something here, or it's at least worth
1: looking into? Well, that, that the family may have a legitimate claim Uh, Especially when she was saying they had no evidence. All they had was conjecture and statements and what people said they heard from the boys that sounded incriminating. The first thing you think about when you hear, well, somebody said X, Y, or Z, is context. If over all those years these two young men were hearing from everybody who crossed their path, did you kill Shannon Siders? We know you were with her." And their answer could have been a very calm, yes, we were with her, we took her home, she was fine when she went in the house and we went off to party. Well, that's a nice, simple statement. But after a while, young people can grind their teeth and say, you know, don't bother me about it, she's dead. I'm sorry, you hear that from a few people and all of a sudden it may sound like something incriminating when really it was just pushback from harassment. That's the difference between what I see in the testimony and what the jury must have seen, that in addition to the two alleged witnesses, that other people had been around the Jones brothers and heard them say X, Y, and Z. I'm sorry, I thought this was America where just what you say shouldn't be enough to send you to prison for a murder. And not to get too
0: far ahead of the timeline of your involvement in the case, but that in reading the documents has been the Jones brothers' story from day one. Yes. Even when they took the first polygraph several decades ago was, we didn't do it. In
1: 1993, Matthew went to the Michigan State Police Post with the MSP investigator in the building with the polygraph operator, answered three very specific questions and passed the polygraph. With that, Miller (laughs) allegedly uh, apologized to Matthew and then went to Matthew's home and talked to his mother and apologized again. What happened from the 1993 Michigan State Police polygraph to a conviction in 2015? And my answer to that question is, a whole bushel basket of misconduct and things that never should have happened, especially with the state police Taking on the case and watching and listening to an unlicensed, untrained, driven civilian who said she did hundreds of interviews in the community with no training, no direction, and no information until the police department had somebody telling them, Well, we saw it happen. And then one male and one female, G.I. was 19, G.I. was 14 and what they were telling the police sounded really good, and it gave the government a foundation for their charges.
0: There was enough for Proctor to head to Nuego County and start digging, conducting interviews and posting them online and social media.
1: I think our social media campaign helped us hit a home run. Uh, what we have is a sworn statement, notarized, in the Nuego County Jail from the person who was half of the government's Foundational case, and that is Dean Robinson. Dean just talks about, and so that document was briefly in the hands of the new judge. Um, Defense lawyers decided to pull it back because we now have cooperation with the AG. Now, I can't expound on that. Mm -hmm. I think if you call, they'll say yes, we're looking at the case, probably.
0: And that document came from the man we just mentioned, Dean Robinson. He recently signed an affidavit saying he lied on the witness stand, and never saw Matthew or Paul involved in a homicide.
1: It might have been only time frame. All the specifics of what Dean says was help from police or prosecutors, is something that he's going to have to explain on the stand like and under oath. But yes, he did say that absolutely. My testimony was driven by information that I got from the police. Even jurors eventually told me that they weren't necessarily believable, but they clearly were very important to what the government was presenting at trial. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's a big deal to have one of the government's key witnesses say not only was I lying about all of it, but some of the information that I talked about under oath that was a lie, I got from the police. I mean, the man has actually been convicted of lying or trying to influence a jury or that kind of thing. Well, that that
0: might be where somebody pushes back on you and say, well, why are you you taking a man who's already admitted he's lying Mm -hmm. to say he's lying again, who says he's not lying about lying to
1: get more attention? Because this isn't an attention thing. This essentially could give the man serious prison time if not life.
0: You think he's aware of that?
1: I'm thinking that Dean Robinson has maybe personal reasons, maybe family reasons for making these statements now. And that um, what he wants is to clear this from his name, however difficult his name and all of what his history is. He probably wants people to know that he is now standing up to a horrible level of misconduct in his life, and he wants to fix it. Have you talked to him? Yeah, of course. You mean since the last conviction that gave him more time and he's... Yeah, yeah, yes, I've talked to him. I know where he is. You believe him? I absolutely believe him. Because there was no benefit in what information he gave to me. The document he signed, for him. No benefit at all. And what we're hoping is that the truth will mean something to the overall picture, which is to reverse the wrongful conviction of Matthew and Paul Jones.
0: There's no doubt in your mind Matthew and Paul should not be in prison.
1: No. Right now. Those two men should not be in prison. Their worst act was to be nice to a girl who was in the car one of their friends that she was afraid of and they took her out of his car and put her in their car and they drove her together to her home, watched her go inside where there were lights, where there was a dog, and then they drove away and they were wearing the same clothes, no change in demeanor by daybreak when they were back with the same friends that they were partying with the night before with Shannon. So, I mean, there's a pretty, Comfortable straight line. None of the people that were with them said that there was any change in them the next day, and because there was some sort of a fight or car accident, the police had hands on both those boys the next day. There was no blood. There was no sign of a scuffle other than the fight that they had between the guys, which they've yeah admitted to. And yeah, and and there was nothing on them that indicated some horrible thing that left someone dead. It just wasn't there.
0: I know the Robinson testimony has kind of been what's, I guess, grabbed headlines, is the word. But with what you and I have talked about too, you're also looking at, you know, pointing out or claiming there's not really physical evidence in this case is what you guys are, what you guys are
1: arguing. They'll they'll tell you the same thing. They they have the speculation of the medical examiner. The disgraced medical examiner, by the way, who has a, another wrongful conviction to his credit. All right. So by the time it's over, um, the speculation about some sort of a rape is just that they have nothing forensically to put it on the Jones brothers. As a matter of fact, what physical evidence there is there, they have yet to match to anybody. It is hair that apparently is, was in the hands of Shannon Siders when she died. And no, they didn't match it to the Jones brothers. And no, they didn't match it to some other suspects they had. Now, the hope is that if we can add some names to the list of suspects, and I can, one of the suspects is one of theirs with a badge, with a bad act history, yeah, we probably, can find, even after all these years, the person who was in some way a part of the murder of Shannon Siders.
0: But even after all that, there's going to be people sitting here saying, Bill, come on. This was Michigan State Police cold case team that was brought in to get this conviction. And I I'm mean, st- how do you respond to people that are saying, there's just no way sure. that there's these guys get it wrong? Wrong,
1: sure. By reputation, there's a lot of people who will stand. Let me say that again. By reputation, there's a lot of people in the County who will stand with this conviction because of the Michigan State Police. I'm sorry. We all have good images in our heads and hearts about the police, the work they do. I'm an ex-policeman. So yes, I feel as strongly as a lot of people do about having and needing to trust Michigan State Police and all other, others with a badge. Our problem is that the misconduct that we have found and discovered and proven later, the police are human beings that I'll just say can make mistakes.
0: No doubt in your mind. No doubt. That there was a mistake made here in this case. Yes. No. Possibly multiple ones, the well, way you're talking.
1: Th- there's a list, but but the key position for me is that plenty early enough in the investigation of this case, the polygraph taken without struggle, without demand, without court order voluntarily with one of their suspects indicates to me that early on, when there wouldn't be plenty of time to beat a polygraph, early on it was proven that Matthew and his brother had nothing to do with harming Shannon Siders, much less killing her. That's what I'm hanging my hat on as much as anything else, because the very Michigan State Police that you're telling me everybody should trust, they gave the polygraph. They walked away saying, gee, guy, I'm sorry, we shouldn't have suspected you. That was their conclusion in 1993. How is it that by 2014, the rumor mill has churned up a bunch of statements that could be made on the stand, and none of those statements tie them to anything but words, not actions, not evidence, words. And I'm sorry, I think if somebody suspected me of something and every time I walked around a corner and somebody said, hey, you had a killer of Shannon Sidis, I think I'd be ready to say some pretty ugly things or even punch somebody. From what I heard, Matthew and Paul didn't punch anybody. There was just pushback.
0: So you're thinking if they didn't punch anybody over this, how the heck did they kill Shannon?
1: That's a part of it. That plus the fact that you really don't hear them being brawlers. I mean, yes, they did drugs. Yes, they were drunk on occasion. Yes, Matthew in particular was married to or with a woman that has two of his children and they battled all the time. She's on camera talking about their lives together and why they're not together anymore. But that wasn't an abusive relationship. It was two combatants constantly back and forth on one another.
0: If Let me ask you, if Matthew and Paul didn't do it, mm-hmm. it didn't happen the way that it's been portrayed in court, yes. with your investigation, what is your theory then of what happened to Shannon Siders?
1: Shannon Siders had an older male relative who she was concerned about and had expressed that concern to some other people. He had a couple of cohorts and all three of them had badges. I'll leave it at that because I don't want to get sued. But there's no doubt that there is good reason that other names should be on the list of suspects.
0: I'll push back on the polygraphs a little bit. There's the argument polygraphs are admissible in court, so why? Why buy a, buy a polygraph, right. well, Matthew and Matthew and Paul's first polygraph that they, that it, they passed? If
1: we're going to talk about polygraphs, let's, let's talk about the, the evaluative science around them. They are about 70% accurate. But the element of them not being allowed in court, as far as I'm concerned, is another court rule that can be a barrier to seeking the truth. I think people ought to hear... The development of science of polygraphs, the, the, the statements that come from the machines and the operators, how good operators do really good tests, how bad operators are lazy and miss the mark. I mean, there's a whole lot of debate around the science of polygraphy. Okay. I don't think there's any doubt that in a courtroom when a jury is trying to determine if the person that they're looking at really did something. They ought to be able to hear, that person agreed to take a polygraph, and when they took the polygraph, they passed it, or they failed it. Now, that way there would be balance. There would be additional information for the jury to evaluate, and that's what we don't have here.
0: Your argument is, well, at least let the jurors think about it. At least let it be an element in their discussion back in the jury room. It should
1: be an element of what they consider as fact and effect, because there's always two things here. I mean, There's things that can be proven forensically, other things that are said by police. I mean, in a lot, of, in most of the cases of wrongful convictions, a, a bad identification is what sends the innocent person to prison.
0: Proctor now hopes that affidavit by Robinson is enough to get the case back in front of a judge.
1: Do you think
0: that I hate to speculate on a court ruling because, ultimately, this is what this will come down to. Do you think a judge is going to rule in your favor? That either Matthew and Paul need a new trial or we're going to toss this conviction entirely?
1: I would hope that based on this and other elements that we have in our custody, that we've determined, I think there's enough to drive the decision for a new trial. Yes. Do you think it's enough to overturn a conviction? the conviction would be overturned if we get to a new trial.
0: Do you yes. think that the
1: new trial would end with a different result? I don't think there's any doubt. Mainly because the level of challenge that apparently was unsuccessful in the first trial would be different now. Because they cha- they
0: appealed to just about every level they could after that conviction sure. and after that sentencing.
1: Sure. But But don't let Failed appeals in this state, in particular, affect your potential belief that just maybe this was a mistake, because ninety-six percent of appeals that go to any higher court in this state fail. But don't take my word for that percentage. Ask a
0: couple. But a high high percentage, safe to say. Yeah, it's a move. Just about every defense attorney will will try. And
1: and some of the rejections from these appeals courts is just plain ludicrous. It's as if they didn't read the appeal document and they just come to one-liners saying, no, it doesn't meet the standard or something. Rejected. Rejected. Yes, yes.
0: So we kind of wrap up. There's no doubt in your mind. None. Matthew and Paul should not be
1: in prison. Should not be in prison. Should never have faced these charges. I'm concerned that Matthew is sick. He's over 300 pounds. He has swelling in his legs that can't be addressed. He needs medication, he needs medical treatment. I'm worrying, I'm worrying every day that he could die in prison.
0: Before he even gets a chance at get a trial.
1: yes, that's what I'm worried about. Innocent people should not be in prison and they most certainly should not die in prison before they get a chance to tell the world that they're innocent.
0: We did reach out to Pat Headland, the former police chief of New Ago and former New Ago County Sheriff who spent significant time investigating Shannon's murder. He says Proctor is going to be surprised when this all irons out and he felt the Jones brothers had competent counsel and the attempt to retry using supposition and conjecture is just silly. As for prosecutors, they've said any response to Proctor's investigation will come in court. Thank you for listening to this episode of Unsolved, and special thanks to Joe Busick for his help in producing it. Tune in next month as we take another look at another cold case from right here in northern Michigan. For 9 in 10 News, I'm David Lydon.